halfway through our series in the story. We're, uh, we, this, this week we read chapter 16, and the title of the message today is Amazing Blessings That Come From Seeing God. Amazing Blessings That Come From Seeing God. We're going to be turning to 2 Kings in just a moment, where Isaiah the prophet is um, having a vision, and he actually sees God, and he gets, uh, I'm going to talk about three of the many blessings that he got from seeing God that day, because they serve as a prototype for us, a paradigm for us, an invitation for us for what God wants for us. But first, let's set the scene. Jeremiah the prophet actually is writing 1st and 2nd Kings after 586 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah has just gone into captivity, and Jeremiah wants them to know why. Over the last 400 years, Out of 38 kings, only five have served God, and the rest have served idols. And God was just done. And there is this this judgment on the, the ten tribes in the north, Israel, who went into captivity about 140 years earlier to Assyria. God had said, I'm done. And Jeremiah is is saying, okay, that happened to the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's also happening now to the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. But have hope, because God's promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you and your seed, Israel, and then Jesus, it's going to happen. And there's going to be restoration out of this situation Jeremiah is telling the people, but I want you to know that this is why it happened. First and second Kings, this is the story. And also, there's the promise of hope. And if you repent, even while you're in captivity, you repent and turn to God and serve God, there's going to be blessings on your life. And Israel will be restored in about 70 years, and it's going to be awesome. So there is, uh, even though there's a description of tragedy in First and Second Kings, it's laced with this profound hope for the future that ultimately culminates in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah and our Savior, and in whom we have incredible supernatural abundant life in our present now. But Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah says in Second Kings. As the writer of 2 Kings 17, verse 23, So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So as he is writing 2 Kings, they are in captivity in Assyria still. And then that, those ten tribes just are lost to history. Uh, their generations continue, but no one knows what tribe is what anymore. Then 2 Kings 17, verse 18, clarifies it further. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. So, And then later, 
Judah was sent into captivity to Babylon. Here's a photo that describes it in a nutshell. Grandma used to say, you can't check up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent. That's a good line. Israel's philosophy was if it doesn't work, do more of it. If, I, if worshiping idols doesn't bring blessing, just worship idols all the more. If living for fleshly lusts don't do it for you, just do, it, just do more. Do, if it doesn't work, do more of it. And there's a direct application to our secular culture with our, to the degree that America and the Western world has abandoned God. My friends, science is good with God. Material blessings are good with God if God is supreme in our lives. And certainly a God-permeated um, political scene, a political scene permeated with the presence and will and humility and um, wisdom of God is a blessing to any people. But when you absent God and only have scientism, that is science without God, materialism as an idol and, a, and, a, and seeking through a political means to have some kind of political utopia without God, as socialists have found and, and communists have found over the years, if it doesn't work, do more of it, isn't going to work either. And everything's, and, and, and all that's going to crash and burn. That's a lesson we can learn as we consider our present day situation and find ourselves being really, really happy that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We turn to God most profoundly and pray for our culture to be permeated with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea and expect it and anticipate revival in America that can turn things around like things turned around in ancient Israel um, during the times that there were five kings, five leaders that in, in Judah in the south that served God and followed after God with all of their hearts. Hezekiah was one of them. That's where we're at in chapter 16 of the story. Um, 25 years old, the Lord was with him and he prospered, the Bible says. The Lord was with him and he prospered. Do you want, to, do you want God to be with you and your family? Do you want to prosper, body, soul, and spirit? In Jesus Christ, this is your destiny. He promises us abundant life in him. And will not he who gives, gave his only son freely give you all things? Freely give you all things, the Bible says. We will have an altar call at the end of this talk today to get you started with Jesus if you're not there yet. Be planning for that, okay? And be ready to receive Christ if your spirit's dead and you want a blessing on yourself and your family and you're not in Jesus yet, you need to turn to Jesus and have that start today. Isaiah the prophet, we see his book towards the end of the Bible, the, the book of Isaiah. 
But he actually ministers during the time of 2 Kings, where we're at now in the story, chapter 16. Halfway through the story, chapter 16, we find the account, Isaiah's personal testimony of his calling to serve God. But he partnered with King Hezekiah, this young guy. Isaiah at this time was older in life, and he mentored and was a spiritual father to King Hezekiah. And Isaiah actually had a ministry for over 60 years of speaking into, uh, into different people's lives, and, and he had great joy in ministering to Hezekiah the king during this, uh, during this season. So we're going to turn to his testimony of how he, how he had a vision of God, how he saw God. And my first talking point is that when Isaiah sees God, when he sees God, he sees the amazing blessing of God taking the initiative to give Isaiah a profound personal experience of God. God takes the initiative. He acts toward us and giving us experiences of him. Note Isaiah chapter 6, verse, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two covering his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe to me, for I am undone. Notice that the word says, quoting Isaiah, so I said, God acted. Isaiah responded by saying, I said. <laughs> he responds. He spoke. But it was only in response to God giving him, acting into his life, intervening in his life, interrupting his life to give him this vision. Do you remember when God has interrupted you in the past in your life? He's interrupted you with circumstances. He's interrupted you with waking up in the night. He's interrupted you and said, Hey, I want to give you experiences with me. What Isaiah experienced, we may not experience exactly like him because each one of us have a customized, unique journey. It's a very diversified God we have. So I'm not saying that we all have to have a vision exactly like Isaiah did, but I'm saying that, that visions and dreams and God experiences initiated by God are, are moments that we should be alert to, savor and cherish, revel in, hunger for, and want more of all the time. Well, someone says, I just want the word. I don't want experiences of God. Well, I want to remind you that the word is what teaches us to have experiences with God. And they're not mutually exclusive dynamics. We love the word. We love the Bible. 
We also recognize that it's the Bible that teaches us that experiences of, with God are normative for Christian journey. For instance, in Acts 2.17 and following, Peter says, says young men will, will see visions. Just a few? No, he's establishing it as normative. When I pour out my spirit, young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Young people, girls and boys, will prophesy. God's pouring his spirit out with God experiences on everybody. On everybody. And he doesn't want fundamentalist theology, cessationist theology that says God does not do miracles today, that's just for the Bible, to block us. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to break that off of us and also sort of some sort of sense of I don't want to be weird. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And a pseudo, don't let a pseudo-dignity Keep you from experiencing God. Be humble. Get after it. <laughs> you can have full love for the word and the anchor points of Christian doctrine and truth. Revel in them and the joys of kingdom realities expressed by the word and also have profound experiences of God. And just because some people go off the deep end with their God experiences and, and leave the word, doesn't mean that that should happen to you. It did not happen to Isaiah, and it doesn't happen to the first church that experienced the Holy Spirit being poured out in Acts chapter 2. It did not happen for Sarah Edwards in the first great awakening. She's the wife of Jonathan Edwards, the most profound leader of the great awakening in the American colonies in the mid-1700s. There were times when she, in her experience from, of God, she leapt from her chair, even unconsciously, in church. Just suddenly jumped out of her seat in church, praising God. There were times when she swooned and went into spontaneous singing in her life at home. She just lived in the presence of God. She said it in her own words, I lived in a ravishing sense of the unspeakable joys of the other world. And she expressed it another way. It was the sweetest night of worship I ever had. It was as if I was floating or swimming in these light, sweet beams of the love of Christ. These experiences in God were the greatest pleasures of my whole life. They were ecstasies that continued every day. Experiencing God. Tangible experience of God. What experiences of God have you had? Would you say you have lots of experiences of God? Would you say they've been few and far between? Whatever situation you're in, I appeal to you in Jesus Christ's name to consider your experiences that you've had with God. Praise and thank Him for those experiences. Revel in them, delight in them, savor them, meditate on them. 
And the best way to be hungry for another potato chip is to eat one. So the best way to have a hunger for God is to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we'll hunger and thirst for more. Bob and Annette and Jason were on a team yesterday and they ministered to someone who's a Christian who had just gotten out of the hospital, out of ICU, in a kind of a tough spot. And by the way, when we're in a tough spot, that's an special, especially amazing opportunity to press into God. As a culture in a tough spot or as an individual in a tough spot, I mean, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah had this vision. Uzziah had, had been a uh, godly king for decades and decades and decades, and now he's gone. I'm not sure what's going to happen now. So there was grief in the land, and out of that, Isaiah had this vision. Well, this lady that the team ministered to, Bob, Annette, and Jason, ministered to her. She just got out of ICU and they offered to pray for her. And as they prayed for her, the Spirit of God came, on, came down on her yesterday. And she started experiencing ecstasy in the Holy Spirit right there in the parking lot where they were ministering to her and praying for her. And when they, she was almost like she was in a trance or something. And when they were going to leave, she said, no, don't leave. I like this. <laughs> I, I like this presence of God I'm feeling right now. Regarding Sarah Edwards' husband, Jonathan, one of the great leaders and theologians of the First Great Awakening, his biographer, George Marsden, put it this way, quote, he experienced a continual awareness of the glory of God. So experiences are meant to trigger an ongoing life journey of the presence of God. The glory of God that we carry it happened for Isaiah. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You have that vision of God. You see God in your, in your imagination and in your spirit. You fix your eyes on God. He will keep you in the peace that passes understanding. Supernatural heaven peace will be yours and mine. Our eyes are stayed on God. So we, when Isaiah sees God, he sees the amazing blessing of God taking the initiative to give Isaiah a profound personal experience. Secondly, when Isaiah sees God, he sees the amazing blessing of God's forgiveness through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. We continue with Isaiah's testimony of his vision, his calling. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen 
seen, seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I've seen him. I've seen God. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been taken away and your sin purged. Make special note that he took the coal from the altar. The altar is where the burnt sacrifice was sacrificed. It was the blood sacrifice. That blood sacrifice is a prophetic pointer to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, coming centuries, seven centuries more from this moment. Isaiah had an awareness of God's forgiveness of his sins, past, present, and future. And our seeing of God, God's intention, his plan, his purposes in your life is to give you an ever-increasing appreciation and understanding of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ for you. God is infinitely loving, but he's also infinitely just. And he will by no means clear the guilty. And, and uh, the judgment against Israel in the north and Judah in the south later on is a symbol of the eternal judgment of God against those who don't avail themselves of the promises of God in Jesus Christ and become born of the Spirit of God. It's a tragedy to go into a Christless eternity. But for those of us that have turned to Christ, there's an, always a, an evolving and growing uh, revelation, appreciation, manifestation, self-disclosure from God about the wonder and the beauty and the blessing of the atonement. This... Isaiah's uh, vision starts with just a, an awareness of the blood sacrifice on the altar, but it evolves and grows into the wonderful testimony about Jesus and his sacrifice in Isaiah 53, 700 years before Christ came. Would you close your eyes for a moment and consider this for you? Isaiah's revelation imparted to you. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. When you make his soul an offering for sin, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall righteousify, justify, 
many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He poured his soul out unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, including yours and mine. I watch for people with revelation of the atonement of Christ. I watch for Christian leaders or cult leaders. I watch out for their attack on the atonement of Jesus Christ. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ is part and parcel of, of seeing God. And I, I, there's always and evermore an attack and a, and, a, and a criticism of it. So watch out for it and dismiss it. And any time you get a revelation from God's Spirit, perhaps in a song or in a scripture you read or in a sermon or some prophetic pointer, God is continually wanting, as you see Him, to give you revelation of the wonder and beauty. My friends, angels long to look into these things in your life. They long to see you appreciating your personal redemption story. And any time you, you have a, a, a quickening, uh, and, and there can be a growing a quickening, a quickening of this. I remember in my early Christian life, I called on God for revelation of the, better revelation of the cross of Christ. I had friends that, that I knew appreciated, and I wanted to be like them. I wanted to experience it like they did. I wanted to be moved by the cross of Jesus the love of Jesus more profoundly. And that's the kind of prayer God answered for me. I, he wants to answer it for you. More and more, Lord, more and more. He sees the blessing, Isaiah does, of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. All of his sins, all of your sins, past, present, and future, entirely forgiven. Finally, Isaiah sees the amazing blessing of a great, Stirring up of God's good purposes in and through his own life journey. Isaiah 6 verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who shall go for us? Notice us, it's the Trinity speaking. Who shall go for us? Father, Son, and Spirit. Then I, Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Isaiah experienced a great stirring up of himself when he saw God to help others out. To help others out individually, like Hezekiah, breaking off King Sennacherib's lies. You read it. He came, his emissaries came to the gate of Jerusalem, told a series of lies. You're trusting Egypt. You've angered God by destroying God's altars. God told us to destroy you says Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. God will not deliver you from me, all these lies. Make peace with us, and your families will prosper in the land of Assyria. Sure. These lies, and Hezekiah said, Oh, Isaiah, give us a hand here. And Isaiah sent him a message before God. Your prayer has been heard. And to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, Isaiah says, God's going to put a hook in your nose, that which you have done to so many other people and leading them into captivity by putting a hook in their nose and dragging them off, you wicked king. God's going to put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. And the upshot of that was that an angel of the Lord killed 185,000 of the Assyrian armies 
and uh, Sennacherib went home and shortly thereafter was murdered in his own temple, worshiping his own idol, murdered by his two of his sons. So, Isaiah blessed a divine appointment in his life. God will send you divine appointments that as you experience God yourself, you can impart, like Bob, Annette, and Jason did, you can impart the spirit, you can impart blessing to others, and you can influence culture like Isaiah did. He influenced the whole culture of Judea, whole culture of Judah. And many of you have read or heard about the seven areas of influence in culture, seven mountains of culture. Here's what people talk about nowadays as being the seven mountains of culture. Do we have those? I guess I didn't put those up. Well, they're, they're uh, media and economy and education and uh, family and religion. Tina knows some of them or all of them. And... Um, and entertainment, and, well, you can easily Google those. I thought I had those, but I don't have those up. But just think of the different areas of our culture. God wants us to affect, in a positive way, those cultures. You know, I get, a, I get such a kick out of driving home um, from the office and going by Huckel's Plumbing on the left on Crater Lake Avenue because our own... Uh, uh, pastoral care pastor Cheryl and her husband Ron started that business years ago in Klamath Falls and their son Ryan took it over and it's just, it's just an example that Ron and Cheryl influenced their son and they still have influence for kingdom influence on that whole business in just a few years it has become the largest plumbing business in in uh, Medford I believe we have over 50 trucks that go I see them all over the place and uh, Metal Masters, uh, Melissa's um, business, participant at New Song. Um, you see their trucks all over the place. And Tina's work with uh, real estate. And Mary Vaughn and, and Tom Seasnack and Lenora Meyer and others work in real estate, affecting culture through business. And... It's a profound opportunity, and I, I could go on and on. Uh, uh, forgive me if I'm leaving you out. It's enough time to, to go share as much as I could on this, but, but it's an amazing thing. Even in our own city, we could, we could see our city move towards increasing transformation simply by these business leaders carrying the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Connie Sickler is... Attends uh, here. Her, her, she's the mother of, of, of Sheriff Sickler. I mean, there's some influence there, isn't there? And and um, and, and of course, uh, um, well, there's just so many others uh, that have influence in all kinds of ways. I, I conclude with this little story. John Stott tells it. He says, "Don't be a a rabbit hole Christian." Don't be a rabbit hole Christian. Don't be like a rabbit hole Christian who, who lives in a little burrow called my Christian home from which 
I pop up at 8 o'clock in the morning and look anxiously this way and that way to see if there's any danger and then make, brave little, make a brave little dash across to my second borough called my Christian office where I continue till 5 o'clock in the evening and then pop out of the second borough, look this way and that, and then make a brave little dash across the wicked world down to the third borough called my Christian club where I spend the rest of the evening. So going from one Christian rabbit hole to another, I never have contact with the, with the world. We are called of God, like Isaiah was, to live in juxtaposition, to live in interface, to live interacting constantly with the world. I had a dream two nights ago, and I always be, watch my dreams around New Year's because they're often God dreams. I had a dream I was in the bow of the, of, of the fishing boat, the church's fishing boat that some businessman donated to the church. And I was in a lake in the bow in the front of the boat, of the boat and all of a sudden, I got, I caught, a, I got, a, I hooked a huge fish, and it was so huge that it started pulling the boat around the whole lake. I couldn't reel it in, and I woke up laughing because it was such a stupid, funny dream. But I prayed about it later, and I felt like, you know, we must always let soul winning and influencing the culture, being fishers of men, if you will. It must always be big in our lives. The boat is the church, and uh, as, a, as the lead pastor in this fellowship, I'm at the front of the boat, and God is using the harvest to, to drive us, to pull us around, and to guide us, and it can be out of control sometimes. I mean, I definitely fell out of control with that big fish on. I, I wish I, I want to go back and have the rest of that dream sometime and see if I can pull it in, but let's stand up. Put your hand on your heart. I want to just say this for those joining us on Channel 11 at 11. Anyone here or through our YouTube live stream, if this is your chance to be born again so you can start having experiences with God. This can be your one of a series of experiences you've already had, but it's time to be born from a, born again. Very simply put, I like to have the audience here and and you are joining us, if you want to be saved today, say this after me. You're not becoming more religious or promising God you're going to turn over a new leaf or do anything better. We're not turning over a new leaf. We're, just, we're receiving a, free, a new free life that's extremely motivating and stirring for good. Say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I call upon you to save me right now. I confess you as my Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead. Amen. Now, my friends, text or call somebody that you respect in Jesus Christ. They will guide, mentor you, do follow-up with you to help you to grow into the unspeakable joys of what it means to be a Jesus person. So, God, right now we say praise you for the amazing blessings of seeing you, we praise you. You take the initiative to give us experiences, profound experiences of you. You always give us increasing revelation of your atonement in Jesus, and you stir us up in our own way with our own gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. We are atmosphere changers by the presence of God flooding and filling us all the time, O oh God. Use each one of us, stir our hearts to our own your, 
to where we fit into your strategy for kingdom advancement. Personally and collectively, we want to interact with the big fish. We want to be contribute towards the harvest. God, we praise you. This is your intention, and we embrace it with courage. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next time.